associated with Solomon. Proverbs is generally associated with Solomon. He wrote a great many Proverbs. Uh, he only specifically he's only specifically listed as the author of Proverbs 1 through 22, verse 16. Proverbs 22, 17 through 24, 34 were likely only compiled by Solomon rather than being originally written by him. Uh, turn over to Ecclesiastes, actually, chapter 12. I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes 12. Let's start there. Ecclesiastes 12. Verse 9, Ecclesiastes 12, 9. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. So there's many proverbs that Solomon didn't write, but he organized and he set in order, the Bible says. Um, proverbs 25 to 29 are attributed to Solomon, but were recorded by King Hezekiah. Uh, turn to Proverbs 25, 1. Proverbs 25, 1. The Bible says, these are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. So these are Solomon's, but they were recorded and set in order by King Hezekiah. Uh, Eger is noted as the author of chapter 30, while Lemuel is noted as the author of chapter 31. Some argue that Lemuel is an, another name associated with Solomon. I tend to agree. We'll get into that a little bit later tonight. Um, but I, I think that is Solomon um, in that view. So the date of the writing. The Proverbs were written from the time of Solomon, 970 to 931 B.C., through the time of Hezekiah, 726 to 697 B.C., the final form of the book probably began to circulate late in the reign of King Hezekiah. This would put it around 700 B.C. Uh, the purpose of the book, knowledge is an accumulation of raw facts, but wisdom is the ability to see people and events as God sees them. Okay, So Proverbs is not an accumulation of facts. It's an accumulation of life basically from God's perspective. That's important to remember. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon reveals the mind of God in everyday issues, matters pertaining to personal conduct, sexual relations, business, wealth, charity, ambition, discipline, debt, child-rearing, character, alcohol, politics, revenge, and godliness are all co covered topics in uh, the collection of Proverbs. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are very closely related, both closely tied to Solomon. Uh, one reason is that Solomon wrote both of them, but... Ecclesiastes is a picture of life from man's perspective. Proverbs is a picture of life from God's perspective. So they're basically two ends of the spectrum, both written by the same person who was given great wisdom by God to see life from God's point of view, but abandoned that wisdom to live life by man's wisdom. And so you see that there. Key verses for Proverbs. Let's turn to these. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5. Turn there. Proverbs 1, 5. My daughter is kidnapping Gloria. I'm just amazed. Proverbs 1, 5. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. A wise man will increase learning. A fool believes they know everything, don't they? A wise person is constantly growing, constantly increasing their knowledge. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. True knowledge and wisdom begin where? where? With God. Apart from God, we can't know anything for certain. Fools in pride refuse instruction or correction. The wise are humble. 
Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5. Turn there. Proverbs 4, 5. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. You're going to see throughout Proverbs that wisdom is Christ. Wisdom is Christ. He's the personification of true wisdom. So when it's saying get wisdom, it's saying get Christ. Turn to second, or Colossians, oh no, I'll just read to you. Colossians 2, verse 2. That their hearts might be comforted, knit, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full... Get that back mixed up. And unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We read that this morning. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, right? The Gnostics sought after secret, unknown wisdom. The mystics today, they do that. Secret wisdom, right? Trying to achieve nirvana, trying to achieve this aesthetic, this, 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 this new age thought, right? But all wisdom and knowledge is found in Christ. Proverbs is the book of wisdom. When you find the wisdom of Proverbs, what you find at the end of that trail is Christ. That's what it's leading us to. That's what it's pointing us to, is Christ. To get wisdom is to get Christ. Proverbs 8.13, go there. Proverbs 8.13. There's more key verses, but we're going to look at just a few of them tonight. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. Uh, the fear of the Lord is evidenced by actively hating evil, okay? Um, it's not enough to simply abstain from evil in the Christian life. We're called to hate evil. We're called to despise the evil way. We're called to hate the evildoer. That, that's a tough one for people to understand. Five times in the book of Psalms, God says, I hate the wicked. He hates the wicked. You say, well, he loves the sinner but hates the sin. You can't separate the sin from the sinner. The sinner sins because he's a sinner. It flows from his nature. Instead of wondering how God can hate the wicked, we should wonder at all why God set his love on some people. When you read John 3, 16, it's not contradicting what God said in Psalms. God so loved the world. He set his love upon sinners. But there's sinners he hates. There's workers of iniquity that he hates. We as believers are called to hate evil. We're not simply called to abstain from it. We're called to despise it. Do you know why so many Christians toy with sin? Because they don't hate sin. They don't hate it. They just don't do it. And then over time, they start to do it. They start to dabble in it. They start to play with it. They start to toy with it. And then it gets their hearts and their affections. We need to be understanding that we're supposed to hate evil. We're supposed to hate the evil way. We're not supposed to just not fornicate. We're to hate fornication. We're to hate homosexuality. We're to hate transgenderism. We're to hate abortion. We're to hate lying. We're to hate dishonoring our parents. We're to, we're to hate idolatry. Christians need a healthy fear of hatred for evil. We don't have. Proverbs teaches the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. If we don't hate evil, we have not reached the fear of the Lord. Go to Proverbs 29.1. This is the last of the key verses we'll look at. Proverbs 29.1. I had a pastor who used to quote this verse often. It kind of got ingrained in my mind. 
29.1, He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. That should, that should scare us. He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. I think about that every time we're out preaching and people walk by and scoff at us, turn their heads at us. How long will they be reproved with the gospel of Christ and harden their heart, harden their neck against it? They laugh at it, they mock it, but their judgment is coming. And that without remedy, there's no way out. They will beg for mercy and there'll be no mercy. They'll beg for pity and there'll be no pity. They'll beg for grace and there'll be no grace. Do you know why in Revelation they're casting into the lake of fire? Because they don't want to go there voluntarily. Because they will be horrified by their judgment. But it's too late. It's too late. There will be no mercy in that day. And by the way, you and I in that day won't feel bad for them. There will be perfect justice. We will stand there and we will observe it and we will say justice is done. We will have attained the fear of the Lord. I think it was R.C. Sproul that used to say, you know, that, that hell just seems so horrific to us today because we're not seeing things from God's perspective. I mean, whether it's by nature or by the preaching of the gospel, these sinners have warning that there is a God and they harden their neck against it. Sproul says that he believes that if he were to be in heaven and his mother were to be in hell in eternity, that he would be able to look upon his mother in hell and not feel pity, but to say justice is being done. And God's justice is right and perfect. Why? Because he that being often reproved, hardened his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Seek the wisdom of God while you have a chance to do it. The day is coming when the chance will be taken away. There is no hope for the one who refuses the wisdom of God. By the way, the wisdom of God is Christ. As we go through Proverbs, keep that in mind. The wisdom of, when you, do, when you reject the wisdom of God, you're rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs is not your typical book. There's no narrative. It's a collection of wise sayings. As we go through the book, we'll apply some of these wise sayings. It's hard to preach verse by verse through Proverbs. Because there's no narrative. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to work chapter by chapter and we're going to apply some of the wisdom to our lives. Ultimately, the wisdom of Proverbs is not intended to simply help us live a better life, right? Some people look at Proverbs that way. You, you meet these people that, well, I read a proverb a day. There's 31 Proverbs, 31 days in a month. So we kind of have this system where I read one proverb a day and it helps me be a wiser person. That's not what Proverbs is intended to be. It's not intended to be a, a, a self-help guide to help us make smart decisions. It's meant to point us to Christ, as all the scripture is. Christ is the sum of true wisdom. R.C. Sproul had this to say, Because the book of Proverbs is often thought of as a practical manual for wise living, the work does not usually come to mind immediately when one thinks of where to turn in the Old Testament for teaching about God. While the book is a practical manual, the practicality is rooted in rich biblical theology. The fact that God's covenant name occurs 87 times in the book of Proverbs leads us to perceive that here we find a rich repository for teaching about God and our relationship with him. Proverbs is not intended to make us wise, in our, you know, just make us better decision makers. It's meant to help us see life from God's perspective. 
It's meant to bring us to Christ. What would Christ do in this situation? What would Christ say in this situation? How would he view this situation? That is what Proverbs is intended to do. So let's, let's look at the book. I've done an overview of the book here, and I've broken it into 11 sections. Section 1 is the beginning of knowledge. Go back to chapter 1. Chapter 1. The beginning of knowledge. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Didn't make a note of what verse I'm reading here. That's not good. Ah. We were seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord. So the beginning of knowledge starts where? With God. That's where that's where our pursuit of knowledge, our pursuit of wisdom starts, is with God. It comes from God. Section two, the way of wisdom. That's chapter 1, verse 8 through 9, verse 18. The way of wisdom takes instruction. Look at verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. The way of wisdom takes instruction. Uh, a wise child will listen to their parents' instruction. Assuming they have godly parents. Now, there, there are caveats here. I'm not saying a Christian child or a Christian young man growing, coming into adulthood. This is not written for children per se. It's written for a young man coming up after his father, or, you know, a young woman coming up. It's not to say a young man or woman should should go to an unsafe parent and listen to their wisdom, right? Their wisdom is the wisdom of the world. It's not the wisdom of Christ. So you have to understand that Proverbs is written as a godly parent to a godly child, right? And in that situation, a godly child, a child who wants wisdom will take instruction from a godly parent. But in our world today, we need to consider that not all saved people have Christian parents. So in that situation, a wise son or daughter will not heed the wisdom of their unsaved parent. They will go to Christ. They will go to the scriptures. They will go to a, a saved person that they can relate to and talk to. We need to understand that as well. But the way of wisdom, generally, from a, in a Christian home, takes instruction. A wise son will take instruction from a parent, right? It's a fool that goes off on his own. It's a fool that despises their parents' wisdom. The way of wisdom refrains from evil. Verse 10, my son, of sinners entice thee, consent thou not. The way of wisdom refrains from evil. Foolish people run to evil. Foolish people dabble in sin. Foolish people play with sin. You want to be wise? Don't play with sin. You play with sin, you're a fool. You know why? Because it's enticing for the moment. But as we said this morning, it leaves you empty. It's vanity, right? It appears as a toy, but it bites like a serpent. It offers freedom, but it enslaves us. We'll see that throughout the book of Proverbs as well. We see the enticement of sin in chapter 1, verse 8 through verse 19. Section 3, wisdom. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, 27. The benefits of wisdom are in chapter 2, 1 through 22. Look at verse 5. Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The benefits of wisdom is understanding the fear of the Lord and finding the knowledge of God. By the way, finding the knowledge of God is tied to understanding the fear of the Lord. Right? It's tied to un what is the fear of the Lord? To hate evil. To hate evil. We'll go back to that again. It all kind of ties together in there. A benefit of seeking wisdom is to understand the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord means to reverence and hallow him. 
to hold him and all uh, that is his, his laws and his word in high regard. That's what it means. So if you're going fear to the, fear the Lord, you've got to hate evil. You've got to hold the Lord in reverence or hallow him, hallow his name. And you have to hold him in high regard. You cannot hold God in high regard and not hold his word in high regard. You cannot hold God in high regard and not hold his law in high regard. So what do we say for these antinomian Christians who run around saying, I'm under grace, I'm under grace, there's no law, there's no law. What do you say to them? They don't understand the fear of the Lord. Right? They don't understand the fear of the Lord. And they're probably not saved. Because how can you be saved and understand the fear of the Lord? Or not understand the fear of the Lord? You can't. So if we're going to understand the fear of God and find the knowledge of God, that comes through reverencing him. If you reverence him, you'll reverence his word. If we're disinterested in the word of God, we're disinterested in the God of the word. You, you see what I'm saying? We can't fool ourselves into thinking, I love God, but I'm bored with the Bible. That's where we find God. Well, I, I love God, but I, I just don't, I don't do organized church. I, don't, I, I just worship on my own. No, you don't worship on your own. We worship in an assembly. It's all throughout the scriptures. The church is the bride of Christ. You reject the church. You reject being part of the bride. You reject the bridegroom. I'm sorry. There's no way around that. We don't see this in large measure today, even among Christians, this holding God in high regard. There's a lack of wisdom among God's people today. When I say God's people, I mean professing people. I think among true Christians, you won't find that as much. But the, among the visible professing church in America, we don't see a lot of the wisdom of God because we don't see a lot of the fear of God, the reverence of God. There's a reverence to what we do. In our Christian lives, there should be a reverence to what we do. Like I said, work is worship. Driving is worship, unless we're cussing out the other drivers, right? If we do it for the Lord's glory, it's worship. When we come in here as an assembly and we gather together, right, there's something sacred that we're doing. It's not frivolous. Um, that's why I wanted to move the announcements to the front of the service. Do you know why? Because in the mornings, when we get together for worship, from, from the call to worship to the doxology, I think our focus should be on God. I think there's something, there's something special and sacred about what we're doing. We'll do the announcements outside of that. But let's focus on God for this whole time. What we're doing right now in the Word, this is, this is sacred. This is, there's a reverence to what we're doing. And you go to some churches and it's a party atmosphere. It's lighthearted. There's lots of joking and lots of... I went to a church and, uh, on Mother's Day. There was very little talk about Jesus. It was all about mothers. Contest of who has the oldest kid, who has the most kids, who has the most kids with blue eyes, who has the most kids with brown shoes. It was just ridiculous. The service started with a video, a, a parody video about Mother's Day, and it just it was good for laughs, but we're not in the comedy club. We're in the church of the living God. There ought to be a reverence for God in what we do. And I'm not saying we can't have fun. You guys know me, I joke a lot. I love having a good time. But when I'm in here, my focus is on Christ. And by the way, that's a good time. I don't get bored with it. You don't get bored if, you're, if your heart is tuned to Christ in worship. It shouldn't be boring. So that service is so boring. All they do is sing psalms and hymns and preach. You need to get saved. Because there's something exciting about praising God. There's something exciting about singing rich doctrinal hymns. 
or inspired psalms. It's exciting to hear the word of God. Not just because I'm preaching it, because I like hearing other preachers preach. I love it. Today, they're not seeking the fear of the Lord. They're seeking activities, community, uh, a place to belong, a group with the same ideals. They're not seeking the fear of the Lord. That's why we have biker churches and cowboy churches, right? We just, well, we all have the same interests. Let's gather around that one interest, and that one interest should be Christ. Should be Christ. People choose a church because they got a good kids program, or they got lots of kids that are my kids to play with. But are they preaching the gospel? That's what matters. We're choosing church based on our hobbies because we don't have a reverence for God, because we don't know the fear of the Lord. That's why. People today are not, by and large, seeking wisdom. They don't seek to truly know God. We've taken that term and we've totally twisted it around, right? You, you, I, I like to, I used to, I used to have a lot, of, a lot more free time on some of my jobs, but I used to work overnight and I'd sit on the internet all night and I'd surf church websites. If you go to a lot of church websites, they'll have a plan of salvation on there. And usually it's a very watered down gospel, you know, and at the end it says, just pray this prayer and you'll be saved. <clears throat> but if you look at most churches, on that portion of the website, the tab says, no God. No God. If I read this, I'll know God. It's four paragraphs. Pray a prayer, boom, I know God. Okay, first of all, being saved doesn't equate to knowing God. You need to understand that. When you first get saved, you don't know God at all. Right? Let's be honest. I dated my wife for two years. When we got married, I still didn't know her at all. It's been almost nine years of walking together, talking together, ups and downs, agreements and disagreements, right? It's been a process of getting to know her. And that doesn't, I'm going to have to, I, I, nine years in, I won't know her at all. I'll have to know her the next nine years, right? We don't see, we, we, we've, we've, we've nailed down this or watered down this knowing God idea in our modern society to just getting saved and boom, you know God. No, no. Knowing God is a lifetime process. It's drawing near to him. It's walking with him. It's ups and it's downs. It's him providing and it's him seemingly not providing me being in one. Paul said, I've learned in whatever state I am, be content, Right. I can do all things through Christ. What he's talking about there is I can be a want or I can have all my needs met. It goes through times of loss and times of triumph. It's a lifelong process of drawing near to God. You don't know God by clicking on a thing and reading four paragraphs. That doesn't mean you know God. A person who freshly gets saved doesn't know God. Now they start the process of knowing God, drawing near to him. But see, we watered it down in our societies. Now it's, okay, I know God. I prayed a prayer. I know him. It becomes a culture, a Christian culture. But nobody really knows God. There's really no wisdom of God. There really is no connection to God, no understanding of the fear of the Lord, and therefore no reverence for God. Being saved is instantaneous, but knowing God comes with effort. Look back at verses 2 through 4. 2 through 4 of chapter 2. 
So that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for hid treasures. He mentions here applying our hearts to wisdom. This implies work, effort, striving for something. He says it involves seeking something, and searching for it as a hid treasure. How do you find a hid treasure? You dig for it. Is it easy? No, most hidden treasures aren't two feet below the surface, right? It takes digging, and then you don't find it. You go to a new spot, you dig again, you don't find it. You go to a new spot, you dig again, you don't find it. It takes work, it takes effort. So that if thou incline thine ear into wisdom, and apply thine heart to understanding, he that criest after knowledge, liftest up thy voice, ask for understanding. If thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for hid treasures, there is effort in knowing God. Effort. It's a lifelong process. We see the source of wisdom in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. The source of wisdom. Look at verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. The source of wisdom is a trust in the Lord. Don't lean to your understanding. You're fallible. I'm fallible. Have I ever been wrong before? I have. I have. The source of wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. A fool leans to his own understanding. A wise person learns from the Lord. Leans to the Lord. The giver of all good gifts. God is the source of wisdom. Look back at Proverbs 2, verse 6. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. The Lord giveth wisdom. You want wisdom? Where do you find it? The Lord. The Lord. We won't find wisdom in this world. They can't even define a man and a woman. Think about that. That's not even a joke anymore. This world can't define a man from a woman. Well, they, they can most of them know. They know, right? They're not fooling us. They know. But they're following a wicked culture. They can't admit that they know because admitting they know would be admitting that God made them male and female and they hate God. They're trying to cast off the knowledge of God. I thought it was funny when uh, the president announced his new Supreme Court nominee because she said in her questioning she couldn't define a woman. She's not a biologist. But then when he announced her as the first black woman on the Supreme Court, she accepted that, and she didn't correct him. I thought it was kind of funny. Because she knows what a woman is, but they reject the knowledge of God, and so they have to pretend that they don't. They're delusional. That's why they sat in the, the other day, just they sat in a meeting on television. The vice president said her name, and my pronouns are this and this. You know why? They're delusional. Because they've cast off the fear of the Lord. They've cast off reverence for God. You're going to go to them for wisdom? When they pretend they don't know what a man and a woman is? No. Come on now. Come on now. We go to the Lord. The Lord gives wisdom. It's found in God alone. Section 4. Folly is laid out. Immorality is folly. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 23. In verses 1 through 8 of chapter 5, we see warnings against immorality. Then we see the outcome in verses 9 through 12. Look at that with me. Chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. Lest thou give thine honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors 
be in thy house, be in the house of a stranger. And thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed and say, how have I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof. Immorality seems fun in the moment, doesn't it? But Proverbs tells us the end of it right here. You'll mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed and you'll mourn and you'll say, how have I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof. The end of sin is tragedy. It's tragedy. It's suffering. It's destruction, eternal destruction. By the way, the sexually immoral are among those who will not enter the kingdom of God. We shouldn't toy with this kind of stuff. Because the end is death and destruction. Everyone who's cast in the lake of fire, though they'll be unrepentant, let me, don't, let me understand, they will be unrepentant. They're not in hell begging for repentance. They hate God still. Hell is not a place where they turn their hearts to God. It's a place where they eternally hate God. But they also hate their suffering. That's why it's called a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right? Gnashing of teeth evokes anger, hatred. They gnash their teeth at him. They hate God, but they weep for their own suffering. But in that suffering, they don't turn to God because they're so filled with depravity and sin. That is the way of the world. Hell is not a place without God. You ever heard that before in a sermon? Hell is a place of separation from God. It's not. God's everywhere. Right? In Revelation, it says those who are tormented are tormented in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Hell is a place of separation from the grace and goodness of God. Even sinners today receive grace and goodness from God. In hell, it's all taken away. They're left with their own depravity in hell. Don't toy with sin. The end is destruction, he's saying. Look at verses 22 and 23. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. You think sin is fun? You think you have a handle on sin? You think, well, I have this sinful habit, but I, I control it. It doesn't control me. What does it say here? And he should be holding with the cords of his sin. They're only slaves. Freedom is in Christ. Freedom is in the wisdom of God. Slavery is in sin. His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself. His own wickedness will consume him. We see the folly of foolishness, chapter 6, verses 1 through 19. We see the example of the ant in chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Look at the folly of the sluggard in verses 9 through 11 of chapter 6. The folly of the sluggard as he lays out foolishness. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, traveleth, and of thy want as an armed man. He tells of the sinful man in verses 12 through 14. Look at verse 15 to see his end. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. Saying the same thing as Proverbs 29, 1, doesn't it? Adultery is foolishness. Chapter 6, verses 20 through 35. What about the one who seeks after an adulterous woman? Look at verses 27 through 29 of chapter 6. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? 
Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth in to his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her, shall not be innocent. It's foolishness. It's folly. How much we toy with that in the church? Adultery, fornication. It's folly. Its end is destruction. Section 5, Appeals to Wisdom. The way of wisdom is laid out in 9, 1 through 12, contrasted with the way of folly in 9, 13 through 18. What is the way of wisdom? Look at chapter 9, verse 6. Forsake the foolish and live, and go in the way of understanding. So the way of wisdom is to forsake the foolish and live, and go in the way of understanding. A wise man never stops learning and applying wisdom. Look at verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. So let's sum up the way of wisdom. Verses 10 through 12. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself, but if thou scornest, thou alone shalt bear it. The, the summing up the way of wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Let's contrast this with the way of the folly, the way of folly, verses 13 through 18. A foolish woman is clamorous, she is simple and knoweth nothing. For she sitteth at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city to call passengers who go right on their ways. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. And as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Notice how the, the way of the wise was marked by uh, an increase in lifespan, right? By me your days will be extended. But her house is the way of hell. All her guests are in the pits of hell, or the depths of hell, it says. It's the way of death. The way of the wise is the way, of, or the way of wisdom is the way of life. The way of foolishness is the way of destruction. The woman I'm spoken of here is not an actual woman. Proverbs is a poetic book, and wisdom and folly are both spoken of as women. Those who heed to the way of folly find in the end that her house is the depths of hell. The way of wisdom are the paths of life, and the way of folly leads to destruction and misery. Section 6, Solomon's Proverbs, chapter 10, verse 1 through 22, 16. Let's look at a few key verses. Chapter 10. On being wise, on being a, on being a wise son, chapter 10, verses 1 through 32. Look at verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son maketh the glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. On a father's discipline, chapter 13, verses 1 through 25. Turn to 13, 24. These are obviously too long to read in one sermon. So we're going to read just a key verse out of each section on a father's discipline. 13.24, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. The father who spares his rod, who spares discipline, hates his son. Hates his son. You love your child, discipline them. That's the way of wisdom. The way of folly doesn't discipline. It lets them go their own way. By the way, if foolishness is bound in the heart of the child and it says that, why would you let a child go their own way? They're going to go the way of foolishness, aren't they? On wisdom versus folly, chapter 14, verses 1 through 35. Look at 1411. 
The house of the wicked shall be overthrown, but the tabernacle of the upright shall flourish. Wisdom versus folly. The wise house will not will not be overthrown. But the tabernacle of the upper and the and the, tab, the tabernacle I, I read that wrong. The house of the wicked shall be overthrown, but the tabernacle of the upright shall flourish. The mockery of wine, chapter twenty, verses one through thirty. Go to chapter twenty. The mockery of wine. This is one we need to learn today, isn't it? Verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. It deceives, doesn't it? You ever watch beer commercials? I grew up in the 80s. I don't, buy, I don't watch a lot of beer commercials now, but beer commercials in the 80s, everybody's wearing bikinis and dancing around the beach. But they don't show you the broken homes, the DUIs, the childless parents. It deceives, it fools. It tricks. What a great time. They're all skinny and having a good time. It's deceptive, isn't it? Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. The heart of the king belongs to God. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 31. We'll look at verse 1 of chapter 21. The heart of the king belongs to God. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. God is over the kings of this world. God is over the kings. Think about that. There's a great peace that comes from that verse in my mind. It's God who turns the heart of the king. You know, Joe Biden and Gavin Newsom can't do anything that God doesn't allow them to do. And they can't not do it if God commands them to do it. That's a powerful God. So what are we afraid of exactly? What are we afraid of? He turns their heart. However, he wants. The heart of the king belongs to God. Section 7, Sayings of the Wise, chapter 22, verse 17 through 24, 34. Go ahead and turn to chapter 22. We'll look at verse 1. Sayings of the Wise. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. That's a wise saying. How about 23, verses 4 and 5? Labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. If only Solomon had heeded that wisdom, right? What is it saying there? It's saying what I said this morning. Chasing after this world is chasing the wind. They fly away. Whatever you gain, you leave behind. Whatever you gain, you could lose. Only that which is for Christ is eternal. 24 verses 1 and 2. Go there. 24 verses 1 and 2. Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them, for their heart studieth destruction, and their lips talk of mischief. Wish I had heeded that as a child. I remember as a young man in school. I went to a Christian school, but there were still a lot of bad kids there. And boy, I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be liked. I wanted to be in the in crowd. You know, several of those people I wanted to be friends with are dead now. Several of them. From heroin overdoses. Not one, several. Some are in prison for crimes they've committed. Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. 
Oh, I wanted to be their friend so bad. That was folly, wasn't it? I was a foolish young man. I should have said, no, no, those that are doing right, that's where I want to be. That's who I want to be like. That's where I want my influence to be. Section 8, Hezekiah's collection of Solomon's Proverbs. 25 verse 1 through 29 verse 27. We ha- here we have a collection of 137 Proverbs spoken by Solomon, and most likely copied into a collection during the reign of King Hezekiah over 200 years later. This seems consistent with Hezekiah's efforts to bring revival to Judah as he elevated the forgotten wisdom of David and Solomon. Section 9, the words of Agur. Agur. I'm not sure how you say it properly, but we'll go with that. Chapter 30, the words of Agur, the son of Jekka, even the prophecy the man spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel, and Ukal. These names are crazy. We have another kid, and we're naming him Ukal, okay? Amen. We know almost nothing about this man, Agur. It's believed he lived in the same era as Solomon. The two other men mentioned are believed to be disciples of Agur. He didn't consider himself a wise man. Look at verse 2. Surely I am more brutish than any man, and have not the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom, nor have, nor have the knowledge of the holy. He didn't consider himself a wise man, but he wholly believed God. Look at verse 4. Who hath ascended up into the heaven, or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is his son's name? If thou canst tell, every word of God is pure. He's a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. So we know he was a man who believed God. He was a righteous man. Look at verse 7. Two things have I required of thee. Deny them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee. And say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. He was a righteous man. Section 10, the sayings of Lemuel, 31, chapter 31, verses 1 through 9. I called this the sayings of Lemuel, but it's most likely sayings given to him by somebody else. Uh, so the question is, who is King Lemuel, right? Jewish tradition holds him to be King Solomon. Uh, that's the view I take. I tend to agree with it. Uh, it's more, most likely what a lot of scholars believe is a pet name, and that these are the sayings that Bathsheba, his mother, gave him, and that Lemuel was a, a pet name between a mother and a son. These, then, would be the wise sayings of Bathsheba to Solomon that he recorded down uh, as he takes the throne. Of course, we know he failed to heed any of these words. Uh, look at 31, verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him, What, my son, and what, the son of my womb, and what, the son of my vows? Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. For it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. I think she's warning him against the sins that overtook his father David. And the reference to giving strength to his strength to women, okay? It was David's sin with Bathsheba that so destroyed his, his kingship, his, his kingdom, that threw him into such turmoil. Uh, his reputation, his very throne was challenged over that affair. Uh, 
In the same breath, she mentions strong drink. I hold the view that David not only had an affair with Bathsheba, but probably by any modern definition raped her. And I think that wine had something to play with that. I think that he was under the influence of wine when he did all that. I think he was so out of character for David. I think he was laying around, lounging around when he should have been out of battle, drinking and getting himself drunk. I just, that's my opinion. That's my, kind of my point of view. But I think it's backed up by this, this proverb here. And she warns him about that because he says, you get drunk, you'll pervert justice and you'll pervert the oppressed. Who was the oppressed? It was her husband, right? It was Uriah the Hittite. Also, her mention that, you know, when she says, what my son, what the son of my womb and what the son of my vows. If you remember, Bathsheba was pregnant with a child out of wedlock with David. That child died. They got married and then she conceived Solomon. So I, I really believe this is Bathsheba's advice to Solomon not to do what destroyed his father. And I believe he did not learn. He did not listen to what his mother and what his father had gone through. The closing of Proverbs is what is commonly called the Proverbs 31 woman. You guys have all heard that. Have you ever listened to ladies Christian radio? How to be a Proverbs 31 woman. <laughs> You guys like that, right? It's a good impression. I think it's a description to Solomon of the kind of wife he should seek. I do. I, I believe it's, it's, it's advice to Solomon on what kind of wife he should seek. I don't think he listened to it, as he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. But when you consider that throughout the book of Proverbs, godly wisdom is personified as a woman, I think we see here a description of the fruit of seeking the wisdom and knowledge of the Lord. What we see in Proverbs 31 in this woman is attaining wisdom from God. It's a wise man or woman who follows the Lord, who seeks his wisdom and lives by his wisdom. We see a godly spouse. We see a hard worker. We see a thrifty person when it comes to money. We see someone who tends to their family, someone who cares for the poor, someone with kindness on their lips and who fears the Lord. Since Proverbs is a book of wisdom pointing us to the source of all wisdom, which we find in the person of Jesus Christ. So to sum up the book of Proverbs, the way of fools is sin, and the way of sin is destruction. Don't walk that road. Don't toy with sin. Its end is destruction. I don't care how, how charming, man, that lady looks or how sweet she talks. All her visitors are in the depths of hell, it says. The way of the wise is the way of the Lord. To fear the Lord, to reverence the Lord, to reverence his law, to reverence his word. You want to be wise? Reverence the word of God. Reverence the law of God. Have a reverence for God. Don't treat church as some, some sideshow, some hobby. We don't come in here for a show. We don't come in here for kicks and giggles and laughs. We come here to worship the living God. And by the way, when you leave this building, don't shut it off. Okay, I worship God. Now it's time to live my life, right? No, everything is worship. Everything is worship. What we watch on TV, what we, what we sing, what we listen to, the conversations we have, the friends we keep, the job we do at work, how we act with our family, how we drive our cars. You get angry and cuss at the drivers next to you? Do you have road rage? You're not worshiping God. Maybe we should be humble on the road. 
follow the speed limit. Say, he wants to get in, I'm going to go ahead and let him get in. I'm going to let him pass me. In other words, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Proverbs tells us the way of wisdom. Get wisdom. What does that mean? Get Christ. Christ is the sum of all wisdom. And when we have Christ, we have the wisdom of God. And when you get Christ, you get the Holy Spirit. And then we're commanded to walk in the Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, you know what we're going to do? We're going to view life from the perspective of Proverbs, of the wise man. Because the Holy Spirit will never lead us down the foolish path of destruction. He'll lead us in the way of wisdom and understanding. So the message of Proverbs is get Christ. And in Christ, you'll find the wisdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. I hope this was helpful to give this kind of brief overview of such an important book, such a, such a, a, a so many details in Proverbs. We couldn't cover everything, Lord, in this. But as we get into Proverbs and start going verse by verse through it, Lord, may you give us wisdom. May we not walk the path of destruction. May we not give heed to sin. That is folly. That is foolishness. The foolish person walks the path of sin. Make us wise, Lord. Make us wise. Help us to see life from your perspective. Help us to work from your perspective. Help us to worship from your perspective. May we be wise men and women seeking wisdom, seeking understanding. May we give our lives to know you, to attain the knowledge of God. May we dig for it as hid treasure. May we apply our heart to your understanding. Oh God, make us wise people. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. You guys are dismissed.